welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where this week we have to ask, what Mexican pissed you off and called you Patty? I don't know, but apparently <laughs> I am a very angry hurricane right now. Actually, I'm not a hurricane anymore. As of now that we record, I am a tropical storm. Well, that's because you got into the mountains, and you don't do well in mountains. <laughs> Which is really kind of funny, because I like the mountains better than I do the beach. So, I don't know. <laughs> but if you are now thoroughly confused what we're talking about, apparently the largest and strongest hurricane in history um, developed in the Pacific Ocean over this past week made landfall on Friday night. It's Hurricane Patricia. Um, she gained from a tropical storm to a Category 5 hurricane in 30 hours. Yeah, it- there has never been a storm that has intensified that fast before. And much like my anger, she also has broken up very fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I I really think that, you know, this is this is one of those weird things. But I think it's a very big picture of the way I tend to get angry, you know? It takes a while and when I hit fury, it's intense. But short-lived. And minor damage. So far, that's what it looks like. Um, You know, we went and took a look at what was going on because with it rolling through Mexico City and next week's race being the Mexican Grand Prix at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. All righty. Did you work on rolling your R's in Ecuador (laughs) lately? (laughs) You know, there, there was some question, though, you know, if, if there was a lot of damage in Mexico City, there could definitely be an impact on the race. It looks like, however, that s- at least initial reports are overall damage has been relatively minor. Yes. she. Uh, this hurricane's really reminding me of Hurricane Andrew from uh, the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a Category 5, but it was small, compact, and moved fast. And that minimized a lot of the damage. I mean, it could have had quite a, a storm surge. Yeah. Now, Patricia is quite huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but she still seems to be a fast-moving storm. But she's moving fast. Her sustained winds, by the way, 322 kilometers per hour. Sustained. Now, I don't have the translation to miles per hour, but that I, seems like a lot. I, I think that when you do the, the metric to English conversion, that works out to about, if you carry the one... The de- Mach five. <laughs> <laughs> what was, what was the drive in Ga- um, Galaxy Quest? Uh, was it like the Insanity Drive or something? You know, I don't remember. I mean, you know, there was ludicrous speed from Spaceballs. So. Oh, that's what I'm trying to think of. Is uh, ludicrous speed? Yes, that's what she hit. Was ludicrous speed? And, and then, if you're not careful, you go to plaid. <laughs> gotta be careful there hey did you see on facebook somebody's calling for mel brooks to make space balls the schwartz awakens no i was <laughs> unaware of this now how you could make space balls without john candy i have no idea that's but, true you know but yes the schwartz awakens <laughs> was like <laughs> mel please make this all righty. Well, let's move on to some news. News me. Well, in reality, this probably shouldn't be a huge surprise, knowing what we what has happened over the season. But Lotus has named the replacement driver for Mr. Romain Grosjean, as nobody calls him. <laughs> you started rolling your R's, and now we're mispronouncing <laughs> French names? Come on. It's like you're me. (laughs) I'm the one that mispronounces names. Don't get confused here. Well, anyway, they have named a replacement driver. Well, they did. Um, He's the GP2 champion from last year, I believe. 2014. Yep. Uh, Jolian Palmer. Now, why this should not be a surprise is Jolian Palmer has actually run most of the free practice one sessions in Roman's car, which Roman was actually kind of PO'd about. 
because he loses some valuable seat time and valuable track time for this. But Jolien is going to be taking his place and joining Pastor Maldonado at whatever the 2016 team is. Because we don't know if they will be called Lotus, if they will be called Renault, or what. Well, can we just hope that he's not as crashy as Crusher McCrusher Pants? Who knows? I hope he's not. Because really and truly, it will make me happy if Maldonado keeps the crashing record. <laughs> Let's not get another new driver out there that's crashing more. Now, Julian Palmer becomes, well, he joins the cadre of Formula One drivers, of current Formula One drivers who are sons of former Formula One drivers. Ooh, he's a he's a daddy's boy. He is. Uh, his father, Jonathan, actually, uh, his career best was a fourth. Uh, used to race with Tyrrell Cosworth, um, and his fourth that he got was during the '87 Australian GP. Way cool. So I'm guessing that <clears throat> Carlos Sainz Jr. Yas versus actually, well, it's technically Carlos Sainz Jr. Jr. No, Carlos Sainz Jr., Yas oh, Verstappen, Daddies, and Palma Daddy can all go hang out and knock back a beer or two. Along with KK Rosberg. Oh, yes, and KK. Anybody else got a daddy on the. I mean, this is like, you know, are you in Formula One because your daddy got you in? <laughs> well, you know, you got to wonder if, if Mika Hakkinen's. D- does he have a son? Is he going to come too? Well, okay, yeah, but. Oh, well, you know, Schumacher's son is kind of running up through carding right now. True. So, you know, we may see Schumacher Jr. Now, we know that, you know, bro Schumacher didn't do so well. Ralph. (laughs) Which, by the way, speaking of Mika Hakkinen, we got to see him at the USGP. Which, in all honesty, if I saw him on the street, I would look and go, Oh, you're a sob engineer, aren't you? <laughs> maybe a college professor. Physics, maybe? I, <laughs> Just, what, was he supporting the uh, the low ponytail? I mean... <laughs> no, it, it's just, he, 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 he's got a very bookish look to him with his glasses and, and the way he has aged. That, yeah, you're thinking professor or automotive engineer or something like that. I thought it was Nikki Lauda that was called the professor. Um, no, actually, that was Alan Prost. I was Alan Prost. Yes. He doesn't wear glasses. He's no, a very he little man. So, Bernie's in the news again. Oh, shock! Hang on, wait a minute. Let me let me quell the shock. Yeah, done. <laughs> okay. The man opens his mouth, it makes news. Well, it it sounds like Bernie has been talking not just to current FIA president Jean Todd, but also his predecessor, Max Mosley. Well, you know. As a result of all of these talks. What does the great and wise Oz, I mean Bernie, mean, um, want to do now? Well, they're pushing for a plan that is in his eyes theoretically hedge much is well, well could potentially kill the turbo hybrid engines that are currently being run now the turbo hybrid engines that we have known for years that bernie does not like and did not want okay now a lot of people say that a lot of what is currently wrong with formula one is these engines Okay. They're expensive mm-hmm. because of the restrictions that are on them and, and how they can be run. They're not as loud. Mm-hmm. They're very com- very complex. And truly only Mercedes and Ferrari have been able to do anything really successful with them. They've, they're the only ones who've seen success from those engines. However, mm-hmm. baseline reality check. Mm-hmm. First, 
Renault, who hasn't been able to figure this thing out fast enough or well enough, was one of the top people pushing for these engines. It was Renault and Mercedes who wanted it. And I think Renault, you know, went to the table and basically said, you either do this or we're out. Mm -hmm. And now they've got other problems. Mercedes jumped on working on doing this early. And thus, and quite frankly, the more time you put into the development, the better the engine's going to be. They won the development race because they invested the time in it. Ferrari had to go back to the drawing board. They got it wrong. Mm-hmm. They started over. They scrapped the old engine and created a brand spanking new one. They did, but the things to keep in mind, the negative pieces to keep in mind with this. Mm-hmm. Number When we first started watching Formula One in 2012, there were four engine manufacturers in the sport. Correct. We lost Cosworth. And mm-hmm. Cosworth has had a very, very storied history within Formula One. Oh, yeah. They walked away from the sport because they could not afford to develop these engines. Well, and that makes sense. But also, when we first started watching F1, mm-hmm. what was it, eight years we'd had the V8 engines? Yeah. At that point... They pretty much hit their development pinnacle. Right. There was no further development that could be done. And it's one of the reasons, if people get really good and honest, why we had four straight years of Red Bull winning, because it became an aero war, not yeah. an engine war. And I think that's what caught everybody on the back foot, except Mercedes, is that these new engines, because of their complexity, because they are new, because, 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 um, means that we are having an engine war again, just like we had when they introduced the V8s. When the V8s were first introduced, there was an engine war because the development cycle had to go through multiple times to get it right. There was an engine war. But there was not the lopsided dominance that they, the lopsided field didn't exist combined with even the teams that got it wrong and were struggling were not stuck in a situation that the own rules of the sport made it highly unlikely that they could ever catch up, that they could ever develop the fixes and the improvements needed to have a competitive engine. Well, that's part of I mean, I would give that the part of the problem is that the rules of the sport make developing your way out of a bad engine impossible. Yeah. However, and this was something I had not fully put together until I was listening to Five Live this week. Mm-hmm. And I think that James Allen had a very interesting and good point. Hybrid engines, petrol hybrid engines, as he mm-hmm. called them, are the wave of the future. That is where they road are. cars are going. And, and that that's exactly why Mercedes and Renault pushed so hard for these engines. Because they wanted to be able to leverage it. They wanted to be able to take advantage of it. That was 100% exactly why they wanted these engines. And because of that, we cannot forget that F1, while a beautiful sport, and the pinnacle of motor racing... And yes, we want all of our drivers to be pushing and and doing fantastic passes and all sorts of really cool things. The cars themselves have always been directly relational to the future of our road cars. They have been to a point. Because where, where that argument drifted away is, again, towards the end of the V8 era when development on the engines and those technologies pretty much went as far as they could go and everything shifted to aero. At that point, that that development doesn't have the impact on the road car industry. And thus, yet another good reason to shift the engine base to something that makes the cars more road relevant. I mean, I'm very, I, I, I hear all of the negativity. I do. And I listen to it to a certain extent. But I will tell you that I am very pro where F1 is today. Yes, I want them to have more freedom in development. I want them to have more um, equality in financial disbursement, which I think would help the development cycle. I want all of those things for F1. But the fact that the powers that be saw the need to reintroduce road relevancy 
into the sport I think is a good thing and I think all the complaining about the noise or the this or the that is smoke and mirrors against the fact that what is at the core and the primary thing is our road cars in 20 to 30 years will probably be more gas hybrids than uh, plug-in electrics mm-hmm. like Formula E or full-on petrol engines. We aren't building F uh, V10 cars anymore. We're not building that many V8 cars anymore. But Ferrari was the one who didn't want to make that shift because that is where they their performance is. Right. And yeah. Well, yes. But how awesome would it be for a supercar manufacturer to come out with something that is so revolutionary like a gas hybrid supercar? Oh, I don't know, like our dear friends at Tesla making an electric car that is $90,000 and basically a computer on wheels. Yeah. So anyway, what is being proposed? Oh, are we there? Yes. <laughs> Sorry for the tangent, people. So what what they are looking to propose is a 2.2 liter V6 twin turbo engine. This is the same that's used in IndyCar racing. And one of the suppliers is the British company Ilmore which used to be involved in Formula One. So what the thought is, is that they would uh, fit a basic energy recovery system to the engines for F1, because IndyCar does not use those. Mm. And Formula One's had those for for quite a few years. Um, Now, insiders are saying that Eccleston and Todd are planning to tweak the equivalence formula formula to ensure that the cheaper engines are more powerful than the more advanced turbo hybrids, which are governed by two separate fuel restrictions on total allowance and fuel flow. That's the how much fuel they're allowed to carry and how much that they can they can burn. So the idea here is that the cars with cheaper engines would be at a significant weight disadvantage at the start of the races because they'd have more fuel on board. Um, but this could be compensated for by increasing the power of the engines or possibly because this is what Bernie wants bringing back refueling. I can't see that as much as I, I, I dig the idea of the refueling. I can't see them being able to justify the refueling. That part I don't see happening. Okay. Wait a second. Let me just do the maths real quick. Okay. You're going to have the possibility of two different kinds of engines. Engine A, engine B. Just bear with me. Mm -hmm. Engine A is going to be less powerful, but be able to go longer and further and faster on less fuel. Yes. Engine B will be more powerful, but need to carry more fuel to use its power. Right. Wait, hold for Mm -hmm. it. Hold me. Hold for it. If you introduce refueling into said combination... You take away the balance that happens between lighter, less powerful versus heavier. Well, I, I'm assuming more what powerful. they would do is both would have to deal with some kind of a refueling regulation of some sort in order to make sure that, well, one gets to come in for gas, but the other one doesn't. No, I, I wasn't saying one gets to come in for gas and the other one doesn't. But think about this if you've got a more powerful engine, mm-hmm. significantly more powerful, which is what you said, significantly more powerful. Mm-hmm. The strategy, just in my quick calculations with not even an envelope to turn over and and work on, would be light fuel at the very beginning and plan for those longer things. Keep your car light and lean and refuel so that you can use your power and have the weight not be a factor. The other car has got a power disadvantage. No matter how much fuel you put in that car, you can't overcome the power. But the thing is, you got to – okay, if you look at the the previous generations of when we had refueling in Formula One, mm-hmm. you got to figure that a pit stop was somewhere in the area of 15 to 18 seconds okay. with the refueling. Is the power difference going to be enough to allow the car with the more powerful engine in a shorter range the ability to gain – 15 to 18 seconds. I'm willing to bet that the boffins will figure that out. Yeah. Anyway, so the idea here is that this would put manufacturers in a difficult position. Mm -hmm. The idea being that they could continue to run the engines they currently use, 
but because of the power differential, risk being able to un- being being unable to win races. That's my concern. That well, that but that's the goal. You force the manufacturers away from the expensive engines that Bernie doesn't want, and onto these cheaper engines. That's his whole plan. That that's the whole reason for doing this. He wants to kill the turbos. Well, I get that. Or, or excuse me, the turbo hybrids. I understand he wants to kill the turbo hybrids. But again, I go back to it, it is he also doesn't like the small teams. So it doesn't make any sense here. He, he We're going to put like the, Man or Marusha in an engine that's more powerful than the Mercedes, really? He, he doesn't like the small teams, but there's there's two things going on here. One is that apparently because of the success that both Ferrari and Mercedes are having, they are gaining a bit more power than Bernie likes them to have. Well, that is And that is, is marginalizing his position. So anything that he can do to prevent that, he is trying to do. That's number one. Number two, he's faced with the prospect with the current engine rules and the games that are being played of two more teams both of which bring a ton of marketing dollars disappearing from the grid, and he can't afford that either. Wow, that that that's what the piece is. And to to go further on with that, it's conceivable that um, Eccleston and Todd would back down if the manufacturers agreed to supply engines to teams at a more affordable price and were less restrictive in terms of who they choose to supply them to. I mean, that is aimed directly at what's going on with Red Bull and Toro Rosso. Um, Now, the plan is said by sources to be uh, the idea of Max Mosley, who is a longtime associate of Bernie. Right. Now, they also, they conducted a joint interview with a German television station last week in which Mosley said the need for an independent engine supplier was acute. Um, and Mosley, we've talked about this before, he's long championed ideas in which teams prepared to operate according to less expensive rules would be given uh, technical advantages over those who preferred to stick with the existing rules and spend whatever they liked. Um, to okay, f- instead of manufacturing this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I have another word for it, but I want to keep our clean writing. Okay. Why don't we just equal out the distribution of money? Well, that'll start there. That that's some of it, and and I agree. That isn't, and we've talked about this many many times. That something has to be done about the prize money. Yes, exactly. However, that doesn't change the fact that you have the teams like Ferrari, the teams like Mercedes these teams that are pulling in a lot more money through their sponsorship deals through all of just the fact that they are massive companies that they can eat these kind of big budgets when you have teams like Williams and Marussia and Lotus that they can't or Sauber that are independent and don't have the even if they're getting more money off the prize fund they will never have that big name company who's giving them engines and development and all of this other work because it forwards the global corporate desire and needs whatever I understand that and I I hate to break this reality to you I mean you will always have the New York Yankees and the Kansas City Royals. Okay. Big market team, big money, can throw lots of lots of cash and lots of dollars at um, high payroll, play, high dollar value players, and small market team that doesn't have that kind of cash, and yet still somehow manages to find success. If you had watched the movie Moneyball. <laughs> Which, by the way, was a much better movie than I thought it was going to be. Which probably doesn't say much because I kind of thought it was not going to be very good. You would have used the analogy of the Oakland A's. Uh, No, I use that specific analogy because because the Royals are going to the World Series. Right. But the 
the, the story there was that same concept, but the story or what really was cool about the Moneyball story is that the Oakland A's, because of their management team, worked out a formula to look at players that were on the rise that were still discounted mm. in price. And so they were able, they had not achieved success, but were headed, headed for that. So they could catch them before they hit the peak, pay less for them, and then have them peak with them. And that's how they got to like number two on in the season that they, they were talking yeah. about in the, in the movie. Um, and again, that is wise management. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's, and that's the game that it's got to be played. I, I think it is foolish and, quite frankly, Pollyanna to think that we are going to have a level playing field, ever. There will always be a game of have or have nots. The minute you have a Ferrari in the mix, you have haves and have nots. There will. However, there should always be enough of an opportunity that everybody gets the has a fighting chance of being up at the front. Well, and I agree and, and with you. Not necessarily walking away with the championship, but it shouldn't be the whoa, Salver actually managed to get somebody on the podium. You know. No, I agree with you. I think that there there should be the potential that there are twenty cars on that grid that all have the chance to be in the front row or to be on a podium. Every single race. That would be the ideal. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you're going to have some percentage of those cars that are in a development cycle, whatever that cycle is. Williams has gone through it, and Williams is now back at the top. You know, they McLaren is obviously going through it. Whatever that that development cycle is that are going to be working from the back of the grid, It's it's that's going to be normal. However, you can't take a behemoth like Ferrari that's got deep pockets and increase their deep pockets and call it fair. It, it's not even so much development cycle, though. If it, and there was an article about this on, on Autosport earlier this week looking at the trouble that McLaren has a potential to be in because of this decision and comparing it to Williams in their situation. Okay. Williams, what caused the... The, the downfall that Williams had, because Williams was a fairly dominating team in the 90s, right. is they they were a, um, the fact, the, the works team for BMW for a stretch. Mm-hmm. They had a falling out, and, and while Williams was partnered with, with BMW, they were doing extremely well. They had a falling out and ended up becoming a customer team, first of Renault and then now of Mercedes. When that falling out happened and they ended up becoming a customer team, that's when things started to go down. And you end up, with the way that Formula One works, you end up in this, for lack of a better phrase, a death spiral for a bit. Because if once you lose that, that, um, that status, the, the work status with, with a... Uh, I'll get there in a minute. <laughs> Once you lose that work status with a constructor, you're paying for your engines. So your costs start going up. Your engineering costs start going up. But along the same lines, as we have seen with a lot of the teams, you may get the latest engine as a customer team. You may not get the latest software. Right. Or as we see with Ferrari, it's sometimes you may not even get the latest engine, which means at that point, your overall race performance start to go down as well. And as that starts, that gets impacted, you get less money off the prize fund. And you start having issues with your sponsors. That's the situation that Williams went through up until very recently and managed to move back to Mercedes and they're starting to see success. The money's starting to come in again. McLaren's in a lot of trouble. Yes, they're getting the money, or, or they're not paying for their engines, in theory, from Honda. However, they they went from, I think, fourth, that now they're sitting in ninth. That is a major hit to the amount of money that's going to come in. Then you add on top of that, with the team not doing so well, they're going to lose even more uh, sponsor and they've been losing quite a few sponsors since 2012. They've already lost Vodafone. They're they're losing more as we go along. This is going to be a problem. For, they can't find a title spon- uh, sponsor. 
And again, that's part of my point. Okay. Yes, I realize it's for every team, they're going to be on a different sort of cycle, if Mm -hmm. you think about it this way. Yes, there'll be falling outs, and they're going to move to the back of the grid for a while as they regroup, and McLaren is going to regroup, and they're going to figure it out, and then they're going to become, you know, from the the fires of the Phoenix and whatnot. And they'll get their sponsors back, and they're going to ride a high for a while, and then they're going to fall back again. And that's 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 a natural flow, ebb and flow. Yeah, it's not pretty, and it's not fabulous when you're going through it, but it is part of. If you look at the cycle of F1 as a whole, and step back outside of a single season, and are not reactionary mm-hmm. to a single season, you see that it's all part and parcel of the process. What I'm saying is. You, if you level out the prize money distribution, you stop penalizing somebody for or paying somebody that comes in fifth more than the person that came in third, and you allow the natural flow of those cycles to actually occur. Mm -hmm. You don't say that somebody that enters the sport doesn't get a single dime worth of money for three years. Yeah. They should have the potential, this is a professional sport, they should have the potential to have a share of the money from day one. They've spent millions, if not billions, to get there. If they get a few hundred thousand from day one because they're sitting in the back of the grid, you owe it to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not going to offset their costs. I'm not asking you to pay for every development piece that there is, but you owe them a piece of the pie. Well, you know something... At a minimum, you should get a couple of thousand dollars from Pirelli because every single car has Pirelli logos on it, not just on the tires. Right. Those kind of things. That's the thing. If you start, in instead of manufacturing these complicated rules to level out this or to do that or get rid of the turbo hybrid engine, whatnot, start with the easy things. Put Pen to paper and level out the distribution. You should not be, I'm sorry, you should not give 50% of the prize money to Ferrari for just being Ferrari. Yeah. Ferrari can literally, from my back of the envelope calculations, come in ninth like McLaren and still make more money than a third place team. Mm Mm-hmm. That is inherently not just unfair, but causes a massive problem with the distribution of the wealth. You should be rewarded for moving up the grid, and you should get a piece of the pie from day one. Well, you know, we'll see what happens come December, because the EU EU is sure to go and look at that. And I hope they do. So... Getting back to the original story that you, again, you dragged us completely away from yet again. I'm sorry. I am feeling my hurricane status. Do you understand this? Okay. Anyway, this is not just idle talk from Bernie and Jean Todd. Oh, okay. On Thursday in the paddock in Austin, Bernie has said the FIA will put out a press release on Monday or Tuesday. The engines will probably have more power and probably use more more fuel. It means, I suppose, there will be some regulation changes, which has already been anticipated for 2017, so there is nothing new. Now, with regards to the claim that the move is a bid to force other manufacturers to reduce the current supply cost, Bernie said, not really. It's very simple. If we don't, we'll probably lose a few teams. It's nothing to do with us what people charge. We have no control and don't want it. They can charge what they like. What is being introduced will be an awful lot cheaper than what it currently costs. Bernie says that there are a couple of interesting interested parties on the horizon. Uh, adding that Cosworth is one of them, and he is confident the independent unit would be competitive. Um, he was asked for his thoughts that uh, that the current engine manufacturers currently involved in F1 would be disappointed considering the money they had spent on the current generation of engines. He said the money they spent, the R&D they spent, it was for their road cars. They got more out of it for their road cars than they say. Really? Yeah. Now, he also says that he does not believe that 
the introduction of an independent engine would see Formula One become a two-tier championship. He says, we used to have people running turbo engines and people running normally aspirated. This wasn't a two-tier system. It was a choice. Whatever it is, I anticipate they will continue running their engines and the others the other engine. Really? That's what he says. I don't like it. I don't like it. There. That's my final word on it. Okay. All right. So other engine news. More engine news. Oh, this is all engines this week. I could have phoned it in then. I don't like talking engines constantly. That's all we have. No, because we're going to talk about pit lane antics later. So stay tuned for pit lane antics. Well, Renault had initially brought new and upgraded engines to uh, Austin this year. They did. So and the Dannings are going to be sitting in the back of the grid? Not only did they bring new and upgraded engines, they finally used their tokens. They used 11 out of 12 tokens on these engines. This should be a significant upgrade. Ooh. However, they won't be running in the Texas. Why not? Actually, there's a really good reason for it. And they won't be running them in Mexico either. The, the reason why they made the decision not to run the engines in Texas is because of the weather. Okay. Because the current engines, as much as they are down on power and they don't work as well, given the low speeds and all of the changes that happen to the car from running the wet weather tires, it made sense to just stay with the current engines for them. Okay. From Mexico City, the higher altitude is the issue. Because of the higher altitude, it changes the cooling requirements and the parts that are needed to make that happen. Those are all older parts. So, again, they made the decision, Mexico, they will not run the new engines either. So they're going to launch this new engine in Brazil. Yes. Brazil, which is almost guaranteed to be a wet race. But it's also much hotter. Okay. I'm I'm just going with what Renault has come out and said that that is the plan and at this point. Okay. Which also speaking of not bringing engines, Mercedes didn't is not giving their customer teams the latest spec of engines that Lewis has been running around on. Pray tell why. Mercedes argues that the engines are still not as reliable as they want them to be. There is still development work going on. So as a result, they're going to let their works drivers run the risk of mechanical issues and other problems developing with these engines instead of giving them to the customer teams. Despite the fact that we, as we have seen since Monza, because this is the Monza engine, it is significantly better than the previous generation of engines. Okay, yes, it's significantly better than the previous generations of engines, but Nico Rosberg's had massive problems. So I'm not sure that that's your your right answer. I'm just throwing it out there. That's, That's what they have said. They will not be giving those engines to the teams this year. Okay. Maybe they know that there's a problem with them or something, and they're saving it, and it would be bad press. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, in admitting what we already knew, Christian Horner has come out and admitted that they had been talking to Volkswagen. Well, okay. And has turned around and said that, yeah, at at this point, those talks are dead because Volkswagen has other things to, to deal with. They might be a little busy with lawyers. As a result of that now, and the ongoing drama with Red Bull. Honda is in the mix. How would that solve any problem whatsoever? The the situation is... Other than give them an engine. That's it. Honda would probably be willing to hand them the same spec engine that they would give McLaren. But in terms of the performance issues and all of the other stuff, this would be from going nowhere to going in reverse. Now, so I had a question for you. Okay. This is just hypothetical. Okay. 
this new engine that Renault has spent their 11, 11 out of 12 tokens on. Mm-hmm. What happens if it rocks? Does does Redville get to go? Oh, we're sorry. Thank you for giving us a good engine. We'll take it for next year too. Well, that's kind of happening. No matter what happens, because since they can't get a decent engine from Ferrari, they can't get a current engine. I should say from Ferrari, they can't get an engine at all from Mercedes. They are standing there with their hat in their hand, just like the little cat from Shrek. <laughs> You know, that that little sad puppy dog look trying to get Renault to give them engines. Um, And there are rumors that that may be the possibility for next year. However, they would not be badged as Renault engines. So I'm thinking that they would probably be Infinity engines, which makes a little more sense since the team is technically Infinity Red Bull Racing, not... Renault. Renault Red Bull Racing, which it used to be. Right. Hmm. And that's that's part of what Renault was complaining about is that, well, you know, we supplied the engines. They won four world championships off of them. But all anybody knows is that it's Red Bull, Red Bull, Red Bull, and not, it was, not that it was our engines, which is their own dang fault. Right. Well, I mean, you let Infinity be their title sponsor. Well, Infinity has a very tight, partnership with Ren. it's part of that that world of companies i understand that but yeah maybe it'll be a nissan engine again part of that whole group of companies i don't know at this point i've got to tell you i am so sick of hearing christian horner talk about the engines that i've kind of gotten to that point where i've hit overload like just either tell me what you're gonna do or I have now stopped caring. The the truth of the matter is, where Red Bull and and they deserve to be absolutely humiliated for putting themselves in this situation. Yeah, they have. James Allen described it perfectly on <laughs> Five Live this week. They they basically they put themselves in a position where they jumped out of the airplane with the expectation that they could buy a parachute on the way down. Yeah, that's exactly what they have done. And I will be looking for every opportunity to use that description from this point forward. Three now, times and it's mine. The the next person to weigh in on Red Bull not getting that parachute appears to be Ron Dennis. Right. Where the rumors have come out that Ron has, upon hearing that Honda was talking to Red Bull about giving them engines, that Ron has come out and said that I don't want them to have these engines because I don't want them to be this competitive, and I don't want them, you know, with the possibility that I'm going to be fighting them off. However, it doesn't appear that Ron should have the ability to veto them, despite what Ron may be saying. I didn't think a customer could veto who the manufacturer sends their engines too but you never know you know, ron's Ber- never been real good with where his boundaries are bernie said and, and even bernie's not completely clear on this um bernie says that honda does have an agreement with the fia and fom that allowed them into f1 on the basis of supplying one team for the first year two for the second three for the third year so they were supposed to do this but he also says that they somehow made a commitment to Ron that he had a veto, and he doesn't want Red Bull. He believes they may be competitors. Ron has said definitely not to a supply as far as he concerned, as he's concerned, but I don't know if his veto will stand up or not. Now, when, he, when Bernie was asked how Dennis has a veto given the agreements with himself and the FIA, Bernie replied, in fairness to Ron, he probably didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'm not blaming anybody. I said I'd tell you the facts, and they are the facts. Red Bull can run Honda engines if Honda agreed, but they won't agree to avoid having an argument with Ron. Mm. So, and Bernie's opinion as to, you know, whether it makes sense for Red Bull to run Hondas is that, you know, at the moment, yeah, it is a worse engine, but we don't know what next year's Honda, next year's Honda engine is going to be this bad. Because it could be worse. (laughs) (laughs) 
Never underestimate the power to make something worse. Now, unlike Renault, Honda did bring an improved engine to Austin. Yes. I say N because they only brought one. Okay, well, do they flip a coin and uh, decide who gets it? No, the decision was made that that engine will be going to Fernando. Alphabetical. When, When asked about, when Jensen was asked about this, Jensen's response was, I hope Fernando annihilates me this weekend. His words. Well, I can see why he would want that. So they they obviously did this alphabetically, right? Yeah, that's probably what it is. Or by the number of world championships. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. Um, but yeah, Jensen was very clear that, you know, as much as he doesn't like it when his teammate beats him, given the situation in the team and given what their current program is, if Alonzo goes and absolutely has killer performance with this engine it's good yeah so um you know who else is coming with a new engine no uh ferrari are oh that's right they are 10 grid place penalties for vettel and kemi now here's the thing you know it's raining in austin right yes and i'm assuming we're ready to start talking about the grand prix Yes. Thank you. Okay, so it's raining in Austin. They were able to do, with some delays and such, free practice three. Well, before we do that, should we talk about the stats? Oh, I forgot the stats. Oh, is they're important. Coming to us okay. from the BBC. What is in the weight of Massa? Nothing, because these are from the BBC. And you did not reach out to the folks at William. You've got to do that. It's on my to-do list. Okay. So, and to be clear, this is not... Stats on Austin in particular, but this is stats on the United States Grand Prix because Austin is not the first place to host the United States Grand Prix. Uh, Yes, they're not the first place to host the Grand Prix. So the first U.S. Grand Prix was held in 1959. Where? Uh, I'm guessing Watkins Glen. Okay. But I don't know for sure. Um, The current distance for the uh, U.S. Grand Prix at uh, the Circuit of the Americas is 5.513 kilometers with a race lap record of 1 minute 39.347 seconds, and that was set by Sebastian Vettel in when he was driving for Red Bull in 2012. Okay. Okay. Track has 20 turns, races 56 laps. Okay. The population of Austin is 1.4 million people. So if every person paid at one pound, it would cover Lewis Hamilton's payment for one race. Oh! <laughs> Austin, Texas is the most highly educated city in, uni- in the United States. Hmm. Austin has the world's largest urban bat colony. There are, there are about 1.5 million bats. Right. They've, there's a big uh, colony of bats in one of the caves around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Rowe did a dirty job right outside yes, of Austin. Did. He did. The fastest pit stop in F1 history was recorded in the 2013 U.S. Grand Prix with Mark Webber's crew taking an astonishing 1.923 seconds to service his car. Wow. Now, going back to some U.S. Grand Prix of the past, John Watson won the 1983 United States Grand Prix West from 22nd on the grid, which is the lowest starting position for an F1 race winner. Wow. I didn't know you could win from that far back. Yep. In 1982, there were three F1 Grand Prix in the U.S. at Caesars Palace, Long Beach, and Detroit. Caesars Palace being the one that was in a parking lot. Yes. (laughs) Sebastian, then aged 19, finished eighth on his F1 debut, driving for BMW Sauber in the 2007 race at Indianapolis. Austin has 300 days of sunshine each year. Today and tomorrow are not those days. No, they are not. (laughs) It is almost guaranteed to be a wet race. I don't think that we're even discussing the slick tires. (laughs) Um, What I'm amazed by is it does not, it did not look from the pictures of the delays in the qualifier that it was actually raining that hard. It looks like the track is not draining well. Yeah. Um, So... Can we, are you done with the stats? No. So most wins by team. 
we have 12 for McLaren, 12 for Ferrari, 11 for the original Lotus, the team founded by Colin Chapman. Okay. And four for for Tyrrell. Okay. Um, Most wins by driver, five each for Ayrton Senna and Michael Schumacher, with three wins for Graham Hill, Jim Clark, Lewis Hamilton, Carlos Ruderman, and Alan Jones. And those are our stats for the week. Okay. You know, I'm kind of surprised that none of those stats include the – awful indie race where like only six drivers ran you know it's one of those races that will live in infamy (laughs) and nobody wants to talk about yeah okay so it was raining today it was quite a bit and so with some delays in free practice three we got to see charlie whiting on the track I know. (laughs) Um, They did finally get out and run a little bit in free practice three. I don't think very much. Um, And qualifying kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, qualifying has been rescheduled to 9 a.m. Sunday morning before the race. Yeah, the drivers have come out in support of this decision. I can't blame them. Um, Jensen said it's the right decision to do. He says, in one respect, maybe if we decided three hours earlier, it would have been better for the fans. But we wanted to get out there and drive and put on a show. Delaying it every half hour was the way it had to be. And all the drivers has essentially said the exact same thing. Um, Alonzo came out at one point and said, you know, they, they could have made the decision really early. But then you run the risk of, well, okay, it was nasty now. But two hours later, it dries up or you get that hour or two window that you could have run it, but you've already announced that you've canceled it. So they're, they're all saying that this was the right way to go. Right. Now, and the hardcore fans, because let's be honest, you can only get so wet. <laughs> yeah. Um, the hardcore fans did hang out, and they were richly rewarded for hanging out and waiting through the delays. There was some entertainment. Um, yes. The uh, grandstands across the way from the pit lanes – um, because they are covered, had probably the fans that lasted the longest. Mm-hmm. And they got to enjoy the various teams biding their time. Toro Rosso, it seemed, was doing the most. Um, everything from some bowling that was going on. Yeah, well, to... they bowled and their pins were Red Bull cans. Yep. Um, did they also, because they, they, they're the team of daddy sons, Yes, the daddies got into the race suits and posed with their cars and their boys. Yes, a very, very cool photo op that, that happened outside of the Toro Rosso garages with all four of the Sainz and Verstappen clans uh, <laughs> in the, re- the Toro Rosso race suits and standing in front together getting pictures and... Carlos and Max putting on their their son's helmets and climbing into the cars. And, yeah, it was very cool. Not Carlos and Max. Carlos and Yas. I'm sorry. Carlos and Yas. Yeah. Carlos is easy because Carlos and Carlos. Yeah, Carlos and Carlos. um, The Marusha boys, the Manor Marusha boys, were throwing around a football. Mm -hmm. Somebody found some tin pie tin to turn into a Frisbee at one point. Um. One of the mechanics for Nico Hulkenberg for a stretch was wearing a boat on his head. <laughs> That's an HMS 27. Yes, which is Nico's number. Yes. Um, Nico came out at one Nico Rosberg came out at one point and was playing soccer with quite a few folks on on the pit crew and Nicky Lauda. Hey. <laughs> you know, when you have a moment to play soccer with Nicky Lauda, you might as well take yeah. it. Yeah. Um, let's see, there was some break dancing in the Red Bull garage. Oh, it was more than just break dancing. There was some ballroom dancing between well, with the two drivers. Yes, the two Dannys got out there and danced not terribly either. <laughs> um, so, you know, they might be on dancing with the with the racers <laughs> yeah. at some point in the future. But the best of the group started with Sauber, who took their skip out into the pit lane and rode it down the pit lane. Well, they they had two uh, mechanics sitting inside the tote, one with an oar and the other with what appeared to be kind of a rudder, not that it was doing anything, with two other uh, mechanics 
grabbing a rope and pulling them down the pit lane. <laughs> Not to be outdone, the Williams pit crew lines up, sits on the ground, and looks like they're doing a, a rowing, a crewing yeah. expedition. Actually, I think they did that first. Um, and then ultimately, towards the end, Force India takes their tote out and does what I would describe as bobsled racing. Yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> they're all hopping, you know, they pushed it and then hopped into it. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, they had it, it was obvious that the drivers were having a lot of fun trying to keep the entertainment up. I mean, yeah. they were bored. The the people watching were bored we posted on our facebook page you shared the video right Mm -hmm. um f1 posted like you know what was going on in the pits it was pretty awesome all of this at the very end when they called the qualifying and said we're not going to do it bernie the mayor of austin and some other person i don't remember who probably maybe charlie whiting no I i believe it was uh the race promoter um invited all of the fans that were still in coda Mm-hmm. into the pit lane and they told them what gate to get in to use to get in but they were all invited down into the pit lane i mean how cool that's that's your reward for sitting in the rain yeah. for four hours um and that i think that was awesome i think it was an awesome thing for them to do to open it up and say come on down you know be soggy oh we missed the um who was the group that used their dry the brake blowers Oh, that was Carlos Sainz Jr. He he had the brake blower. He started off. He was blowing out the the area right in front of his garage, and then <laughs> I think that was his physio who has um, a really big hairdo that he turned around and put it right in his face and blew the hair up. You can see you can see the photo uh, or the video of that uh, in the FIA's video that we shared. Yeah, I think Carlos and Max probably had the most fun. Definitely. Although, Kvyat and Ricardo dancing, um, I think we need to discuss that <laughs> a lot more. Um, I believe there might have been a dip involved. I'm pretty sure there was. I know there was a spin. But, yeah, they had quite the fun. Um, but even just stepping out of the garage and waving, I mean, they, they did that. Oh, and while I'm thinking about it, we need to wish a very special happy birthday to Roscoe. Oh, is it Roscoe's birthday? Yes, that's what Lewis is doing as he's going home this evening to celebrate his dog's birthday. Okay. Um, we'll have video of Nico and Nikki Lauda playing soccer ah. in in the, uh, the pit lane. And any other video I find that the teams have shared from the antics of this <laughs> afternoon, we will share over on the Facebook page. Um, yeah. I, it, these are the fun times to watch F1 is to see what the antics and what people are doing to to just have a little bit of fun. You don't really get to see the teams playing around and screwing around all that much. I mean, you hear the Red Bull music going, which is sometimes better than others. But <laughs> for the most part, you don't get to see, especially for a team like Force India. I mean, I kind of expect it from Toro Rosso. They're younger, and they're related to Red Bull, and Red Bull's known for being loud and boisterous and whatever. But for the Force India folks or the Sauber folks to be out there. Or the um, Williams folks to be. Yeah. They, they, they kind of get known for being a little bit more serious. Um, now, we do need to discuss the championship. We do. Oh, before we discuss the championship, should the qualifier tomorrow not happen, mm-hmm. there is a provisional grid based on free practice three, which is the whole reason I started to talk about free practice three. It, it's based on times, and then a few people had to move around for penalties. But the provisional grid as it stands now, Lewis Hamilton would have pole. He's the only person that drove free practice two, three under two seconds at 1.59. You mean under two minutes? Two minutes, sorry. Yeah, two, two seconds, seconds would be not the right number. Well, if he did the track in, in under two seconds, he'd probably be this little schmear of jelly at the back of the car. <laughs> Just saying. Possibly. He was using plaid. <laughs> um, no, two minutes. He did it in 1.59. Um, but here would be the big thing if we use the provisional grid. P2, Nico Hulkenberg. Yeah. So just let that kind of wash over you for a minute because 
that would put Force India on the front row probably for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, now, Sebastian Vettel is like down like on the fourth row because of a 10-grid penalty. Um, and Rosberg was down low too. He didn't do as well. Um, Kimmy's further back and all of the other pieces kind of fall into place. But there is a provisional grid should qualifying not occur. Qualifying is scheduled for tomorrow morning and the race thereafter. It does appear that the rain will lighten. And if they can get drainage on that track, we may actually have a race. That's the hope. Um, I'm kind of hoping that it doesn't get red flagged, but I won't be surprised if it's delayed. Yeah. Um, beyond that. Some of the other things that we will be sharing this week on the Facebook page. Or the, you have the championship. Oh, the championship. The championship. So what we have to know is that Lewis is in prime spot to lock up the championship. Uh, the quote from Five Live was that he could probably drive his car one-handed and win the championship this weekend. The key here is that he must, must, must come in in front of Vettel and Rosberg. Mm-hmm. He must come in nine points in front of Vettel and at least two points in front of Rosberg. So if it is a Hamilton Rosberg Vettel one, two, three, which it has been five other times this year, mm-hmm. Lewis locks it up. That is the highest that Vettel Vettel has to be less than third or but further back in order for him to lock it up if Lewis is first. Now the other thing is that Lewis at a minimum to have any chance at all he has to come in ninth or better right now everybody else has to be behind him but if lewis comes in 10th and everybody else is behind him he will not get the championship he has to come in ninth or better in order to to secure the championship okay i saw that stat there was something that was interesting I'm interested in that because I thought he had to have nine more nine more points than Vettel. And while, yes, if Vettel was past 10th, he would be at zero points. But I didn't think ninth place was nine points. Maybe it was sixth. Yeah. I, I thought it was further up the grid. Okay. Maybe it was sixth. But, yes. I probably should have looked that up. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go. Um, but anyway, it is entirely, it's not just possible, it is probable to see that he would lock up the championship in this, this race. If he doesn't, it is almost guaranteed that he would win it next, in Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. (coughs) The key here is that with, after, uh, the U.S. Grand Prix, he has to be 75 points in front of his nearest competitor. That's where those magic numbers are happening. Exactly. Because we do not have double points this year in Abu Dhabi. Yay, no double Dhabi. No double Dhabi. Um, so that's where the world championship stands. We are all poised to see Lewis become the world champion, and it is no secret that I will be very happy when that happens. <laughs> that's all I had. All right. What else are we going to be talking about this weekend? Well, we will be sharing, I have... The photo of Carlos, Carlos, Max, and Joss. Yay! So we'll be sharing that. We will also be sharing, this is a bit of a flashback. Red Bull has shared a video from 2011. This is a very cool video. Um, When Coda was being built, and it was still just a dirt track because they were laying it all out, Mm -hmm. they took one of the older Red Bull cars and drove it around the course. Oh! They shared that video. Nice. So we'll, we'll have that as well this week. All righty. So um, put on your mucklucks and go watch the race tomorrow. Wellies. Wellies. Not mucklucks. Mucklucks would be the warm furry boots. You don't want to wear mucklucks to a rainy situation. Wellies. Okay. Put on your wellies then and, <laughs> <laughs> and watch the race tomorrow. Big difference there. Okay. All righty. And on that, I think we will wrap it up. Remember, we'd like to hear from you. Tell us your thoughts on this engine situation. 
or situations. Hey, there was nothing else. It was either that or tires. <laughs> Thank you for not having to talk about tires. See, there you go. It was either that or tires. But, you know, leave, leave us a comment what you think about it, whether or not leave you're. Leave Michael a comment about the engine situation. Talk to me about the boys dancing. Wh- whether or not, you know, you're excited that, that Lewis will probably be the first British driver since Sir Jackie Stewart to defend his championship title and the first English driver since Sir Jackie Stewart to be a three-time world champion in F1. Yes. Um, I think it's the first British driver to do the back-to-back. Yes, he will be, well, like I said, the first one to defend his title since Jackie Stewart. Yep. And Ty, and I think it's awesome. And I love that Jackie is like, I laid down the records and they're meant to be broken. Yeah. So it gives me the warm fuzzies there. And of course, if he wins this race, he will now have more race wins than Sebastian Vettel. Yes, he would. I thought you were going to go like, if he won this race and he won the title, then he doesn't need to drive for the rest of the year. So maybe Pascal Whirlin will get the seat. No, okay. I don't think that that would happen. Yeah, actually. I, I can't see Lewis doing that. No, but I do have to say that Lewis is in a really good place. I think he's oh, uh, yeah. found his real balance this year, unlike any other year, even last year. Oh, definitely. Well, he wasn't constantly fighting for his life. Right. And this year, I think he's, and I think it shows in not just his drive style this year, in his relaxation, his relaxed drive style, but I, I hear it in the radio. We were watching that clip of him winning last year's race. Yeah. And even him thanking his team, it has been more joyful with every race win this year than it was there. And even there, he knew he was on that upward swing. But he always thanks his team, and this year it was just there was even more joy out of it, more honest enthusiasm, and not something, yeah, more tense. So, good luck to all of the boys on the grid. Be safe tomorrow as you're driving. And on that note, we'll call it a show. Yay. <laughs>